0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And then you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 158. It's
1: our conclusion, Zeke.
0: It's yes. Our, our
1: conclusion to the
0: trilogy. It is indeed a big episode. Very exciting. Episode. Um, and we yeah. are doing this before midnight, so... We
1: are, we are. We've got to get this episode up before midnight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, it's, uh, we actually have a deadline. Exactly. You know what I, you know what I dreamed about, Zeke? Well, I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. What you dreamed about this morning, if you, of course, remember at all, if you like, had a dream this oh, morning. Oh,
0: okay. Um, I actually did, I had a really depressing dream oh, this morning, such oh, a weird, oh, goodness. such a weird um, question to ask me. You yeah, had, like, a dream, I also always have dreams, like, about the past and stuff, like, I was playing football or something. Mm, okay. And, uh. It's had upsetting. a lot of people being very angry and mean to me. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, <laughs> That's kind of that's sad. I, know, I
0: woke up and I nearly was crying in my sleep, which has Jeez, never happened Jesus before. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. no, thanks I, for bringing up my trauma. I'm sorry,
1: no. It's because I had a weird dream <laughs> as well. It wasn't quite as traumatic. It was, I was helping... <laughs> I was helping Zendaya um, log the information into the ServiceWA app, which... <laughs> I don't know where to begin with that <laughs> Yes <laughs> <laughs> Oh god So I was like Your birth certificate's gonna be hard You've only got one <laughs> name Zendaya <laughs>
0: Well that's one uh, She just came out Dating Tom Holland Didn't she Is that
1: That's a thing that I happened, think that's, that's really. been out for a few months now Well I I found it in December And I'm like Wait they're actually dating I thought that was just like a A shipping thing And my sister's like You're an idiot They've been dating for months now I was like, oh, but how did down. my sister know this before I did? I don't know. Oh,
0: if you watch the videos, it's clearly there.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, well they, they it's official, so it's been oh, like that for a while now. There yeah. you go. There you go.
0: Well, we normally don't start with our dreams on the show. No. Uh, what's no. your star sign though, Jack?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's Gemini. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. We normally start it's with important. trivia, but Jack's important. Yeah, we can, we can still do trivia. Yeah? You still <laughs> my have... trivia is my dream this morning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to be one of the characters in the film of the week.
1: No, no. I mean, that would have been interesting as well. Them having to do the service WA app. You could totally frame a whole movie of just people trying to do the service WA app. Because mm. it's a nightmare. And I want to see diff- different people and their reaction to doing it. You know, helping their mums and whatnot. But anyway, it's beside the point. My trivia for Before Midnight is sort of a collective of the whole of all three films. It's actually something I discovered last week. That's what I would say for the trivia this week, and the fact that even though it's a very coherent trilogy of films, Mm -hmm. no two films were produced by the same uh, distributor, or I should say distributed by the same distributor, in the sense that Before Sunrise was distributed by Columbia Pictures, Sunset by Warner Brothers, and this one, Midnight, by Sony Pictures Classics. So, interesting to see... That they almost kind of had to like restart each time, but it
0: sort of speaks to volumes that like that, you know we've said on the other two episodes related, um, there wasn't a plan to do three films. No, no, there was and not. And if anything, by having three different, um, you know, sort of uh, production Dis- distribution companies, yeah, yeah uh,
1: that pretty much proves it, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, the fact that they they didn't do one and then the same. You know, Warner Brothers was like, Oh, like we'll we'll do the third one with you. It's like, no, they have to start from scratch each time. But yeah, interesting. What about you, Zeke? What's your what's your trivia fact?
0: Well, um, I'm gonna go with something related to the intra narrative between the three films. Sure. Um, particularly uh the connecting our previous before film, Sunset to Midnight, which to be honest, although there is a discussion over you know when we jump into the film of the week they do reference the first film i think the second film is more uh, important to watch to watch the third film sure. you know what i mean like it's sort of like you need you need one to watch two and two to watch three really mm. um and then you get you know collectively it's even more mm. empowering um so i i really like this where it's it sort of talks about um the relation of kids which in the second film at the time, the, you know, um, Jesse is the only one with a child, mm. um, Hank. And Jesse asks in Before Sunset to Celine if she has kids, and she makes a joke about leaving her two daughters in the car. In this film, mm. Celine is first seen waiting beside her car with the two daughters inside. So Very clever. This sort of talks about the, you know, why it's so important to watch the, predecess- the preceding film, um, or the-, the film that came before. In order to really get those little Easter egg and discussion nuances, sure, um,
1: yeah. Well, I feel I feel like it's funny because you. I think you would actually have the two lead actors talk about how these actually could kind of work as individual pieces, but I think, mm-hmm. I mean, the the collective as a whole is is so perfectly cyclical yeah. in its examination of love. But 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 we'll we'll get to that.
0: I I we'll agree. But yeah, like you said, we'll, we can talk about that in the second half of the show.
1: It's very—we're uh, very excited. We got, I know we got a whole we got a whole first half of the show to do. But Zeke, on the poster behind you, eleven hundred films to watch before you die. Would this end up on your poster? Yeah, and I do think it is on the poster too. It actually isn't. So no, none of the trilogy is on that poster, which I think is absurd. I think they they should all be, frankly. Yes. Yeah. But, That's um, just disappointing. Yeah, no, it would have been weird if if. Like, before Midnight was on, but the other two weren't. Like, that that's a mm. weird... Like, it's kind of like, you know, we did Spider-Man recently. The only Spider-Man on the poster is the first Raimi, Toby Maguire one. Mm. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And in the same case, if they only wanted to put um, Before Sunrise on the poster, I, I would think they all deserve to be on there, but I would also get the thinking behind that, of, like, at least acknowledging the whole trilogy with the one entry, but... But, but no, just, it just, doesn't like, do that.
0: Having to look to see which of the three films got the most nominations. And I feel like this oh, one. Oh what might for, for
1: Oscars? I think I think Sunset and Midnight both got a writing nom each.
0: Mm. This one did too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well yeah, this exactly. One collectively got more because of it's sort of like a Lord of the Rings effect, I think. But I'll I'll double check it.
1: No, I think I think they just got the one nom for Sunset and then one for this film. Okay. Yeah, and ma- like maybe they weren't eligible or something for the first one, or it obviously wasn't as known at the time, I guess. I think mm. mean, that's my finger behind it, but,
0: yeah. No worries. Interesting. Well, speaking of films, Jake, what have you caught in the last week?
1: Um, didn't catch too much. I did talk about 500 Days of Summer last week, like, watch, finding video essays, and be like, man, this is so great. I did end up rewatching it proper, and yeah, it's a great film. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Each, as I grow up, each time I realise how crappy he is <laughs> as a person but uh, it's no it's great it's great subtext all around uh, the other two films i saw uh, went on a bit of a double feature for ridley ridley scott so ridley saw, Scott, yeah so Ridley well yeah. <laughs> yeah i saw house of gucci and the last jewel so okay. it's interesting Thoughts? so the last jewel obviously panned no one saw it did not make its money back people were very upset Especially because the general consensus was, it was actually pretty good. It probably shouldn't have got panned, or uh, not panned, but... um, Bombed. Bombed, yeah, it shouldn't have bombed, exactly. As opposed to House of Gucci, which I think, like, for me personally, I was more interested in that out of the two. It was a a little bit more contemporary, I was interested to see Lady Gaga and things like that in it. Um, I think it just spoke to me a little bit more, that story, Mm -hmm. than, you know, French medieval 14th century... Well, I'm not usually big whatever on on that those kinds of stories. Yeah. Um uh, now of course House Gucci has already made its money back. So, I believe it well the, the it's already made more than the original budget of the film, mm-hmm. not including uh I guess advertising and stuff like that. So, financially it's doing a lot better. But the reviews are also much more scathing. And yeah, I kind of agree with that <laughs> in the sense that it's a shame that House Gucci was the one that got the attention than last two because House of Gucci Man Oh goodness. Very disappointing. I think I think everyone's having a lot of fun in it. You know, I think Jared Leto's having way too much fun. It feels like he just sort of snuck on the set and they couldn't get rid of him. (laughs) I mean he's like that in most of the films he's in to be honest. (laughs) He really bugged me in this one. I mean he bugs me in a lot of movies. Um but what's interesting is that like this stylistic flamboyant performance that virtually everyone's doing. It's so Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, um, Al Pacino. You know, like they're all doing these sort of crazy you know, performances. Um, it doesn't fit with the style of the film that is is so much more of a straight, linear, safe portrayal mm. of this. And for those who don't know, it's about the Gucci family. I think throughout the eighties and nineties specifically. And of course, Lady Gaga's character sort of marries into the Gucci family. And that's the most interesting part about this film is like the the control that she's trying to grab with the name and the fact that, you know, people are like, oh, well, she's not a real Gucci because she, she married into the family. Mm. And like her it's sort of trying to flip that and be like, no, 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 I am a Gucci and I and you know, her obsession with that power and the name and those things that come with it. That's the most interesting part of this film. But it's also just a very unfocused film. Mm. And it has a lot of scenes with a lot of other characters wedged in between, to the point where I sometimes forget she's even in it when she should clearly be the main character. Um, it just is, feels like too much is going on. There's too much going on. It is a slog. It is an absolute slog. I I, mean, I so I watched it with Damien, and I leaned to him like at a certain point I couldn't even tell you how far into the movie we are. I leaned in. I'm like, oh by the way, Hoyt said that this movie is actually eight hours long. And he started pissing himself laughing. like that's We both just were on the same wavelength of, oh God, this is the longest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on and on. And and then, but you're so relieved when it's over. You're like, oh, thank God it's over. Which is funny because when we got out, we saw the whole border change mandate had happened and like, <laughs> it felt like the whole world had changed while we were in this time capsule. That's how long it was. <laughs> that's how long it felt like. Um, that by the time we actually got out and started talking about it, we realized that the ending itself was actually really anticlimactic and disappointing. Like, it just sort of ends. There's no, like, pace to it. And I compared it to I, Tonya in the sense that Itonya you know, and that's a film I really got to rewatch because I watched it years ago and I cannot even remember how I felt about it. I know you're not a huge fan of it necessarily, mm. but the thing it does is it plays with this idea of, of you know, the, the unreliable narrator and having you know pieces the camera of you know the the actors in character talking about you know the way they perceive those events and this film could have done with something like that could have done with you know lady gaga having these sort of interstitial things talking about reflecting on her life and then we cut to those moments in time and it's like i think it really needed that because it just it felt so linear and straightforward and conventional that i was just so bored because it didn't feel like it had anything to say about perspective or i mean it could totally go the i route it's a very similar story but yeah anyway i i was bored out of my mind i thought it was i thought it was a shame (laughs) crying shame but got you got you up and about though it did it did well i was gonna say to you before the show i was like i'll save it i really had to be in the mood for this film and like it got to the point i was like i just need to go see it i need i need a time i need to walk in with my vax pass to get in the hoits I just need to commit because I was never going to be in the mood for it and as it turns out I was never going to be in the mood for it because the <laughs> film is just not good I'm sorry but Ridley Scott let me flip it over let me flip it over because The Last Jewel which I know you're very upset nobody watched it <laughs> <laughs> it's on Disney Plus now so that's okay um, much 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 better polar mm-hmm. opposite in terms of style mm-hmm. it is very grounded very gritty it sort of takes these, these characters from 14th century France, medieval times, and treats them very seriously. There's no flamboyant performances in it. It's very much like, here's the story, and it's going to get dark in places, but we're going to let it play straight out. And you have Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Colmo, like those three, and Ben Affleck's in it as well. And I actually didn't mind it. I actually thought it was quite fun. He's doing like a bit of an accent. He's kind of got a mm. different flavor to it. Um But those three in particular, I thought, were really great in it. And what's so interesting about the structure of this film, I don't know if you know this, I kind of, like, I heard enough about it that I I knew ahead of time, but the film is essentially the same story told three times over from three different perspectives. So you have chapter one, you go from Matt Damon's perspective of how events play out, and then it will cut to chapter two, and it restarts the story from Adam Driver's point of view. Mm. And it will keep doing that. And... It's a very similar experiment to what happened in The Last of Us Part 2, actually. I think the response here was a lot softer, <laughs> <laughs> because it only took about 40 minutes to reset each story, not like 10 hours, like the game. And what's interesting is they don't just change the camera perspective. Uh, yeah, they like to add scenes in there, or like for example, they'll be a scene where Matt Damon's like about to engage in a conversation with someone, and then we cut to a further scene where he describes like how he came off in that scene. And then in the later perspective, we'll actually see what the conversation was, and you'll be like, oh, well, he was lying about that. So there's little things like that, but even the actual lines and events slightly alter. So there'll be a fight, for example, where Matt Damon saves Adam Driver. He's in danger, and he saves him. And then you cut to the next perspective, and it's reversed, where Adam Driver is the hero of his own story. And then certain lines would be said by different characters that create different meanings and inflections like this is really clever like just subtle little things that you know they could have gone on set and done their schedule and, and shot those takes and then just use those same shots throughout the film but they do different versions of it with different lines spoken and different sort of inflections and timings and beats just subtle things that you would notice by watching it as as a film on its own and i think you could do something like this as a miniseries but i think it works as a film because it's all in condensed into this film where you can really notice the subtle changes in his performances. So I thought I thought that was really excellent. And and as well as doing that by the time you get to the duel, you know, the titch of the duel as they, mm. they call it, um, you're in such a different place contextually what the film's message is, where you realise you sort of outgrown what you think the feud is and it becomes so much more about um Jody Comer's character and sort of the, the I I guess what's the word I would use? sort of the powerlessness of women in that time as well. Mm. Like, just the way it sort of shifts meaning, I thought was really clever. So, Blast Jewel. I thought it was great. You should watch it.
0: As compared to House of Gucci. As compared was, to House of Gucci, which good. run away from.
1: If yes. you if you see it walking down the street, cro- cross that street. <laughs> 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 the uh, funniest thing is
0: I was potentially planning on seeing House of Gucci, but maybe I'll just go see Last Jewel instead.
1: No, exactly. Just log on to your digital whatever. And watch it there. I mean, Ridley Scott will hate you for it, but hey, you watched these movies, so... Yeah. Can't be too upset. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I haven't caught too much in the last week. I've only also caught the, uh, the two films, excluding the film of the week. Mm. Um, I did catch a film that I recently got added to Netflix. It's a 2020 release. Uh, it stars uh, Aub- Aubrey Plaza mm. um, and is directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. Uh, this is his third feature film? Okay. Um, but, uh, I haven't heard of the other two. Um, it's called Black Bear. Um, oh,
1: is it, is this really a 2022 film?
0: 2020 film.
1: Oh, okay. I was going to, yeah, I've definitely heard of it before.
0: Um, it's interesting. It was quite, it was, it was quite interesting. So yeah. it, it basically follows, um, a sort of currently out of work actress and going up to the, uh, it says the, uh, Aiden Rock Mountains, basically just a mountain range. Okay. Um, log cabin, where a couple who uh, have recently found out they're pregnant, um, and sort of basically, after a, multiple traumatic events ensues, it sort of flips and becomes quite of a meta narrative film where they develop a film based on the first uh, acts, traumatic events. Uh, it's intriguing and it sort of is like the cycle of toxicity and relationships that plays out with particularly or you know plaza's character it was interesting something a bit different it's kind of like one of those fun like uh hidden gems that occasionally pop up on netflix that you can Mm. just sort of sort of equivalent to stuff that you would see from like um you know we've talked about with the um, things like your blue jays and your outside ins and such like that so it definitely has the same sort of effect I find
1: yeah. my um, mind goes to um, be kind we'll wind <laughs> yeah <laughs> in terms of remaking something yeah I
0: enjoyed it quite a lot nice um, very good it was quite it was quite a neat film neat hundred minute film the other film on the other hand um, is the latest from George Clooney uh, The Tender Bar which recently got added to Amazon Prime Um, it is yeah this Prime completely
1: studios. went over my radar
0: yeah, for probably good reason. Mm. Um, it's kind of a nothing film. It basically follows a lower middle class Boston family and this um, boy's pursuit for sort of self-identity as he tries to get into Yale and become an accomplished writer and sort of break out of the, like I said, that lower socioeconomic, sort of a different, a, a softer take on something like The Town, which has a very mm. similar sort of notion yeah. in it. But not nearly as interesting or effective. Um, yeah, the poster reminds
1: me of Green Book. It's probably <laughs> With the, car the yeah, most accurate. It gives that's me very so funny. It's like
0: watching the King Richard trailer, and you're just like, "All right, I get this. This is the soft, yeah, the soft uh, Oscar nom."
1: Yeah, um, I I get that, but like I'm still excited to see King Richard. Mm-hmm. That looks like a good version of those kind of movies, yeah, though. Okay. You know, I think it's gonna
0: work. This one's fine. Yeah. You got a hundred minutes. You want to kill? It was pretty. Easy. It went by pretty quickly. I, like, okay, it that's good. good. But it was, you know, fine. Didn't do anything particularly like memorable, really. Sure. Apart from. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd's the granddad in it, and he still looks like what he did in 1985. <laughs> which, at the same time, I then walked out of the room, and my mum was watching Doc Hollywood, which had Michael oh, J. Fox funny. in it. And I was like, Man. Marty! He's
1: yelling from your room. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, that was pretty funny. Like, how someone cannot age in 35 years, or little aging. Yeah.
1: Well, I think the whole thing is they aged him up quite a bit in, the, in Back to the Future, but... On the same token, he he didn't look that different. I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah. He, he there's something going on with that man. Exactly, he's good. I met him. I met him in real life at Supernova. You did? I yeah, did. Yeah, I got the photo you. in my room. Oh. He's a great man. It's great there man. Go. I told him how important Back to the Future was. <laughs> Not that he needed to hear it. <laughs> no, probably heard it a few times. <laughs> he's probably a, yeah. Okay. Get did out of here. Uh, have anything else? You no, ducked? no. That's that's all I saw in the last week. I still need to. I was gonna try and rewatch Euphoria the first season to catch up with season two. Nice. But I just—it got to the point. It's, like, it's not going to happen. I just need—I <laughs> need to re—I need to watch a recap, like a twenty-minute mm. YouTube recap, and then just jump into season two. That, that's what I need to do. So, hopefully this week I can start watching some more series easies for my serialized account, mm. not Letterbox, but serialized. What about? Uh,
0: do you have any career things you'd
1: like to touch on before? Um, not no. I thought about it. There's nothing. yet. I booked a wedding gig, which is exciting. Mm. But that—I mean, we might talk about that in a couple of weeks. But. Groovy. We can talk about booking gigs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm about to start my Exciting. last
0: year of Masters, but that's not really a career thing. Uh, not well, In the, oh, the filmic sense. The filmic sense. No, well, it's um, all in
1: pursuit. It's all in pursuit This of is
0: true. Yeah. it's true. Alright, well I guess then it's time for us to move into the second half of the show with our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching?
1: This week in the show, Zeke. We're watching before midnight
0: you know something you're just like the little girls and everybody else you want to live inside some fairy tale all right i'm just trying to make things better here all right i tell you that i love you unconditionally i tell you that you're beautiful i tell you that your ass looks great when you're 80 i'm trying to make you laugh okay all right i put up with plenty of your shit and if you think i'm just some dog who's gonna keep coming back then you're wrong but if you want true love then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real. And if you can't see it, then you're blind. All right, if I give up.
1: So what about this time machine?
0: We meet Jesse and Celine nine years on in Greece. Almost two decades have passed since their first meeting on a train bound for Vienna.
1: Mm. Okay, well, it see, wasn't it bound I mean, for
0: Vienna, too. They ended up well, they, in Vienna, Yeah, they
1: got off on Vienna. But it wasn't bound for Vienna. No. Oh, well. Maybe it met, met their, Damn love, it, letterbox. their love was bound for Vienna. <laughs> um, I don't know. But you can see, I didn't change the logline all that much from last week. No. I, and the main thing was Greece. I don't want you to know that they were in Greece. Because, you know, it's, I, I think where the films take place... Are, Pretty important as well as where they are in their relationship. Mm, yeah, yeah. Very so Zeke, I'm going to read to you. Nine episodes ago, you predicted what Before Midnight would be based on seeing sunset, and uh, I'll I'll pretty much sum up what you said. Which there are there are things on here that are very spot on, mm. but then there are things that are completely down the wrong track, which is quite funny. You do say that Jesse and Celine will have a 10-day spell of vigorous lovemaking. (laughs) That's the terminology you use, which we find out is exactly what happened off screen. So there you go. But you wanted to say that they then again go on their separate ways for another nine years and then reconcile in this film to essentially reflect and and realise what dummies they were for not getting together in the first place. Mm. And that you weren't sure if they would stay together or not by the end of the trilogy. Now, that's where the whole thing kind of goes in a wildly different direction. They indeed have been together for nine years now. Mm-hmm. They have twins. They do. Which, what a what an absolutely fantastic reveal! That yeah, was. Yeah, it's really oh clever. Oh my god, that was so sweet. But I gotta ask, Mm-hmm. Zeke, you finished the trilogy. You're I done. You've now I seen. Watch this film on Thursday. There you well, go, uh,
0: YouTube.
1: Nice, no, nice, no, very nice. Yeah, you can get this one on YouTube. Very good. Yeah. You can get the others on Stan, I think now yeah. as well. Yeah, and then of course the whole thing's on Criterion getting as it off well. Your,
0: like YouTube too is like the equivalent of going to Blockbuster and getting it for one night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you pay yeah, five you bucks too, which is to about
0: as how much the one day rentals were back in the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense, especially if it was like a more new release. But now that you've seen the whole thing, Zeke, just general thoughts, impressions. What do you think of the Before Trilogy? What do you think of Before Midnight?
0: Well, it's it's pretty obvious that this was going... You know, going in was going to be the trilogy that I will look back on and be like, yeah, this is my favourite trilogy of films. And it is. It still is, yeah. It's um, it's really interesting how this film walks this line. We've talked about it over the other two episodes of being incredibly immersive if you're really close to that age. Mm. um. And watching them grow up, it's like... So, going into this film, there is that disconnect there. But sure, I do yeah. like that this film... And we'll talk about it when we break down the film a bit. Mm. Does at least offer the hand to those who might be watching these films in very quick succession. Right. Um, In the first half of the film. Sort of helps nice balance um, over a particular scene. Um, which I really like. Um makes it way more transferable, the information, I think. Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I think this trilogy is perfect. Um, I think that the the int- most interesting parts of the conversation for this review in particular will be looking back on sort of, you know, obviously, because this is the one where we're the furthest away from age-wise, yes. so we can't really get inside the heads of these two people that have... Um, been together for nine years. Mm. Um, now in their early forties. Particular drama ensuing. Um, yeah, struggles with identity due to either societal expectations or general disconnect. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting sort of breakdown conversation.
1: Yeah, the, well, that's there's a there's a lot in there, especially like parenthood and the, the types of things they're dealing with work wise, and especially Celine. Um, things that yeah we don't relate to as much because you know we're twenty four, you know we're much closer to the age that Jesse and Selene were in the first film, and I and I remember feeling it when I watched the whole series back to back to back for the first time, uh like last May I want to say, I felt the relatability slowly itching away. and My initial reaction was that this is my least favorite for you know a couple of reasons in the sense that one you're right we are most removed from their. Like interpersonal lives and where there are in, ter- in terms of humans at the age of the mid-40s. Uh, we- it's harder for us to relate to those things. But on that same token, it's like I also respect it for being that because one day we are going to be in our 40s. Oh, exactly. And we're going to watch this and hopefully, well, hopefully in, in some regard, not all of them, <laughs> that we relate to them yeah. deeper than we relate to the earlier films today. And I mean, that's what makes this trilogy so special, is that it's sort of unapologetically focusing on those specific time brackets. And they can only do it because, you know, you have Ethan Hawke, Julie Delphi, Richard Linklater, they're all growing up with these characters, and they're all putting their gigantic footprints on the characters Mm -hmm. as they age and as they become parents and inflicting it on the characters. So, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the fact that I can't relate to this film as much. Because it's very much... The intention, and very much the idea, to complete this trilogy, to do something like that, and to put this couple in a situation that's not too different from the arguing couple on the train that caused them to meet in the first place. Yeah, just again the cyclical cycle right there. And and you're right. I think I know what you're talking about earlier in terms of the film lending a hand. There are certain characters in here that feel like they're meant to be echoing the past in in some ways. Yeah, uh, in terms of a younger couple, but.
0: It's Almost, a, it. yeah. It's it's definitely. I think it's definitely resonant. There's resonance from the times before, and mm. and even um, this film really dives into opportunity cost as a concept. Which you know, I remember hearing that phrase "opportunity cost" first time, and I've, I've sort of transferred its meaning. So you know, I've heard that term. An economic term, right? Actually.
1: Is is this referring to like every every decision you make is a bunch of other decisions you've chosen not to enact on? Yeah, that kind of it's idea. The cost, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you know, it's and it's probably a better way of describing it rather than saying oh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. It's the wrong way of phrasing it. Whereas yeah. opportunity cost is you make a decision and by making that decision you're subsiding or dealing with the consequences of that decision. Basically, sure. yeah. So in economics, that's like, um, uh, you know, if you like buy this product, you prevent yourself from buying this product and sell it you know it leads to this knock-on effect
1: perfect example criterion when they decide we're going to do this film this month that is opportunity lost where any other number of films they could have done no longer can be done because they made that decision
0: and this film basically in in a a very crazy ghostly way Mm. almost takes place directly after the other film in the sense that although it's nine years on Mm. The decision that was made at the end of the last film has now we see the the knock on effect and the the cost of that action, yeah, um, and that's what I think is important about sort of that discussion of mixture of maturity and grounded levelness versus irrational passionate love mm. and what was once perceived as a romantic gesture at this point either you know is now perceived as something that is used against characters in the film and also against the audience, who by the Mm. end of Sunset wants these two characters to get together. And Midnight is the result of we getting, as the audience, what we, quote, wanted at the time.
1: Right, but then all those unforeseen consequences are happening. And a film literally opens with this in the sense that the big hurdle, as much as Jesse hated his life in Sunset... And like wanted that escapism with Celine. Mm-hmm. The one thing, and he says it is, you know, I need to look after my son or Henry. And I remember when you were predicting what the third film will be about, you took that into account of of Jesse can't abandon his son, mm-hmm. or does like you you can't do that. Yeah. And the first scene in this film is we see the relationship he has with his son, who's mm-hmm. now sort of in his preteens, maybe maybe 13, 14 In this film, um, keep in mind this came out around the same time, if not a year before um, Boyhood. So it was interesting yeah. to see that exploration there with the... With the
0: Particularly how similar Hawk looks in both. That's a <laughs> yeah, exactly, a bit, yeah. Because I just, saw a scene from Boyhood the other day where he's in the car talking to the, t- the adolescent uh, yeah. versions, and I was like, this is very odd. Yeah. It's like
1: <laughs> Ethan Hawke, he so loves those time-twisting movies. I'll give it... And then what's the what, time-travelling one he's in as well? Um... Predetermination, predetermination, yeah. Predestination. destination, predestination. There you go, predetermination. No, it's, it's confusing <laughs> on that one.
0: Um, but yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like it, it's definitely. We see that in the the opening scene, and we don't really see that unre- that that basically is the catalyst for what the film is centered around. Is 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 actions have consequences. Actions that have re like re- reactions, knock on effects, and it's not as simple. As one event leads to, um, you just oh, that well, they they she he wasn't in love with his first wife, so he fell in love with a new person, and they have kids, and everything's fine and dandy. Yeah. It's like that's no. not how life works, no, no, because then he has to deal with the the toxic post relationship with his first wife, which has led to Hank or Henry basically mm. having next to no access yep. to his dad, and although he really enjoys being with his dad. Um, he sort of, he's at that point now where he's in that cognizant teenage mindset where he basically just wants what's going to make his life easier, which, Mm. you know, and we find out very quickly, you know, from the first conversation he has with, with, with Jesse, that this is the best summer he's ever had is to do with the fact that he had a sort of romantic summer love in Greece. (laughs) <laughs> which, it, which,
1: yeah, it, it even goes, and we'll talk about later, the relationship that he has with um, Celine, which I think is very interesting. It happens entirely off camera as well through phone calls and, and dialogue um, conversation with other characters. But, you know, when he sees Henry walk in to um, sort of check in, put the bag mm. for the thing, and he doesn't look back, he sort of is taking care of himself, he's an you know, independent boy... And he leaves the frame, and, and, and Jesse's sort of heartbroken because he's like, I'm missing I'm missing this. Like, yeah. being there for my son and, and trying to be involved and teaching him the importance of music and, you know, don't give up the team-based activities and those things like that. Those are important things that he just... My son's not getting this through his head. Well, I need to be there for him to do yeah,
0: that. Yeah, because his son has pretty much constructed this identity out of the fact that Jesse wasn't there, and that's that's not a... For the for the him because he just hasn't been around in his life. It's mm. it's not a a longing for something. It's the fact that it's just been an unattainable thing, and he's constructed this identity, this positive identity, like where you know he gets the benefits of going on a six week trip to Greece yeah. and living this. Fun. I mean,
1: how incredible would that be? Yeah, that'd be incredible, and unlike like especially when you see where they're staying. Yeah, <laughs> the pen- penthouse type thing. It looks like um no, but it's what's interesting as well is i mean that's a commentary and even just how young henry is to appreciate that um i mean we could assume we obviously don't really see him interact with any of the other characters we see him leave at the start um but just to be able to sit there and appreciate the things around them and it's like and i i don't get the sense that their daughters aren't appreciating where they are because it's very much like a family get together for them i suppose. Um, but then getting to that age now where Jesse and Celine can't enjoy this because this is too much responsibility mm. in terms of the parenthood and and those stresses but you know this scene leads on to them driving, they pass the ruins let's just get that but I think what's so great, and I think this is a, I didn't count it but I think it's like a 13 minute shot it's, fantastic. it's just a, well, they have like one or two cut-ins here and there which is really clever, I'll get into why it's later but yeah it's it's fantastic, it's almost like the catch-up you know, get to see yeah. them living their day to day fantastic sort of um
0: you know, almost first I, I would actually say that the first act essentially ends at the end of that car ride because interesting. And the the reason why I'll say that is is when they stop at the station. So if if the interaction Jesse has with Henry is the you know, the prologue. Sure. Then this is where the, the that first act sort of starts. Cause basically, you know, the so that we discover Celine and Jesse have had two twin, like two yep. girls, twins, um, and they're asleep in the back and which is very, you know, very commonplace. And And the ride starts off with this, uh, it, what I really like about this car ride is, is, you know, someone who, um, I, you know, I come from a, like both my parents separated when I was like six, seven. So roughly right. around the same age as the girls are. And it's interesting to think back when there were the times where my parents were together and they were in the car. These conversations could 100% have been happening while I was asleep in the back sure, with yeah. my older brother and my younger sister. And I'm pretty sure they did happen. Or And it's that lack of comprehension you have because either you're not cognizant or you're so young you just don't care. Um, yeah, all you care about to... is going to the ruins because that's what you care about. The ruins are really cool. Yeah, didn't? yeah. Um, and I really like that this, it starts off that we feel like they're kind of on the same page as stuff, but it sort of devolves into, we're starting to see critical problems with this relationship, even as early as, 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 as this car ride. Because by the end of the car ride, Celine makes a very, very polarizing statement in that, oh, this is how relationships end. This mm. is where it starts. We've reached the end of the line. It's now a ticking time bomb. Mm.
1: Um, yeah she's like I'm joking but I'm also not <laughs> yeah
0: well it's it's one of those things that you definitely feel the red flag fly because it's like and especially over the course of this film we start to see the nuances that they loved about each other in the first film and even the second film they're now starting to get really frustrated by mm. or they're, they're starting to like Jesse's constant over of Celine's English just like the fact Celine's first language is not English
1: yeah um, well, she yeah. even has that comment like the red in your beard's gone now that she never noticed mm. until that night. Yeah, just little thing. I mean, that's a visual thing, but you're right. Like those, those things that were romanticized have either faded away or they've become something of an annoyance and a trait that you just can't stand anymore. Yeah. And what I think about that car ride, because yeah, the kids are asleep. It's like it's it's almost like our one chance to really see them, almost shoot the shit in a lot of ways, and we get yeah. that a bit as they walk towards the hotel. Um, but you're right. It's sort of snuck in there where she perceives Jesse's um, you know the feelings he's having about, about Hank or, or Henry um, as oh well you want us to move to the US and he doesn't explicitly say it but as the film goes on it's very clear that that is what he would want but mm. that's where the cracks start seeping in Was like, okay here's something that they both fundamentally disagree on in terms of where they need to go and I think that's what the cracks in the relationships are to seek.
0: I what I don't I find interesting, so you know, like looking through like letterbox comments and stuff, is the biggest critiques of this film are the characters feel like they're at their most one note at this point. And I don't oh, agree I with disagree that sentiment. I, yeah. I don't agree with that sentiment at all. If anything, the problem is that they they might demonstrate quote one notedness, but it's the reality of there are scenes, and I, I don't want to try and jump too back and forth over the plot. I would rather do it chronologically. But the the fact of the matter is they've been together for nine years. Mm. And they've kind of been in each other's life. They even say that they've actually been together for 18 years. Which I find is a really interesting nuance. Yeah,
1: that's true. Where yeah. did we start counting? When we first had sex, so 18 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. that is interesting. They and count that.
0: It is very interesting because it's sort of like one of those things that couples have a tendency to... Correct transgressions the fact that he did you know have a technically have an affair with celine he was still with his wife at the time yeah though he may not have been in an enjoyable relationship he used like you said celine as this escape um you know option and you know as we discover over the course of the evening it's like they they went to new york for a very short period of time they lived on she lived on his terms but then you know they moved to paris had the kids and there are underlying either insecurities that the other person has resentment for those decisions they made as a team, as a, as a collective, or um, the fact that they actually subtly, you know, Jesse subtly resents Celine for doing that and staying in France. Mm. And it was apparently all on her terms.
1: Yeah, and which is, those are things that, like, we we just can't see, but it's like we kind of have to take their word for it on that. And, and, you know, that was the thing, is she had a complicated pregnancy and she makes a few Mm. comments like that you know i nearly died etc etc that that sort of motivates the decision to move back but you're right we we, because we don't really see those things we can only take it for face value Mm. of where the grudges come from and we don't we can't really sit there and be like oh well this character's wrong or this character's wrong because we don't have enough of that history or information to go off of the important thing is the fact that they're blaming each other the fact that they're being bitterful and spiteful Mm. About the situation they find themselves in,
0: I think it's it's one of those things that one of the key problems that even gets raised as early as as this car ride, where we start to see oh this relationship's in a far rockier situation. They just where we're only seeing it unfold over time, and sort of very similar. This film is probably actually the most similar, I think, to Blue Jay in the sense that really, yeah, I do. And, okay. uh, let me let me run. Yeah, you no, through. please explain that. Yeah, I think it's because at first it could be easy to be like, oh, it's probably sunset; it's the closest to. Sure. But it's but I actually think it's this one because the critical problems are sprinkled throughout Blue Jays evening. You know, like the the distance um, that you know uh, they have with their relationship, and there was that critical point. But I like. Um, how that movie, uh, or that film, like, spreads out the the problems, and then when we get to the boiling point and everyone, they're having a go at each other, um, it becomes very apparent what the core problem was, but it was always there the whole time. Whereas this one does a very similar thing, where even as early as the, the first scene that we see our two characters interacting with each other, we know that there's problems there that they're just choosing to ignore, or they're choosing to get enveloped in. This one's mm-hmm. definitely there's probably it's probably a middle between sunset and midnight.
1: See, yeah, I would still argue sunset in the sense that sunset you have two characters who obviously after, you know, a long amount of time meet and had this relationship that of course in this case we know more about because we saw it in in mm-hmm. sunrise. Um but then when we get to sunset it's about them sort of putting up a guard and a shield for their own emotions mm. and retaining like what happened didn't affect them as much as they actually did down the line, is which is exactly what Blue Jay is about yeah, as fair. well. So I would probably... I see what you mean, though, yeah. in terms of the, the way things are sprinkled and sort of how things are revealed over time. Yeah. Um, but I think structure is still more similar to the Sunset.
0: I mean, even in that car... Why I like that car ride so much is every single point made over that car ride... Is basically going to be used in an argument later mm, on, yep. Um, and just more of the information and no and motivations behind why they even made that at some point slightly snarky remark. Like, but it was done in either an endearing sense or a a diff- They took a different tonality with it, so it mm. makes you think that it's more to do with like the fact that Celine thinks Jesse really hasn't grown up as a person. Like he he hasn't really matured. He lied... he. He puts up this artistic disposition and uses his, his intellect for, to words and, and ideas and philosophy as a way to covet that he's, quote, mature. But the reality is he's the exact same person he was at, at 23. Mm. He's forever a teenager, as she says that. Yeah, like, yeah. Because he think like he does, he has that, that whole position with... Um, you know, almost like his his emphasis on wanting to have sex a lot. You know, it's still like a big part of him. And whereas Celine has really undergone, has pretty much stayed true. They both stayed true to their people, uh, their characters. Except one of them really has grown up and become quite cynical and jaded. Like Celine, mm. admittedly, is quite a jaded person. Sure. Yeah. Um. And the other one's just more immature and thinks that you know it's and obviously this relationship is is slowly falling apart because of the fact that there's just that disconnect there Um, and that it comes out a lot in that car ride where it with with everything like the fact that Sleen really knows despite you know working being a bit of a workaholic and desperately trying to you know and even having the take bringing her frustrations of the workplace because you know she is taking she is the more outwardly working person Hmm. the working class person. Um, while Jesse is more the home, homebody, which on the surface looks like, Oh, well then he would be more in touch with his kids, more supportive of his kids. But as we find out later in the film, he does the, the the tip of the iceberg roles, the roles Mm. that are seen by everyone and perceived by everyone, but not the subtle nuance roles that she still does because of her commitment to her kids, her kids. Yeah. Well that's Which it. She, big...
1: We see that over and over again the commitment, she, you know, what she's doing, like the general speech and the fact that they speak French to each other, like, there's tons of clues in there of like, yeah and I think the motherly relationship he has Celine is a fantastic mother yeah. you want to say, but so much of it boggles and weighs her down in a sense where I think there's, there's sort of a duality to what she's struggling with and it's it's very much a what's the word I'm looking for? Not psychological, but um, you know, this idea that she's weighed down by the responsibility she's putting on with herself, you know, she has these feminist icons she looks up to and wants to sort of live up to that in a sense, but then is also boggled down by her, you know, self-admitted maternal nature of having to look after these kids but hating that it takes away time for her to, you know, be artistic and play the guitar and write songs and things like that and that obviously turns into its own argument but I think as much as i mean there's a lot of interesting things going on with celine and i'm when i watched this with my mom recently about a, a couple of months ago she was like she's such a bitch in this one and like i understand where that comes from but i'm also like i feel like her whole journey for these three films has been like oh, being aware and afraid mm. of being put in a box like the mother of the family and by this film she feels like she has been and can't yeah. climb out of that. And then Jesse just makes fun of her, because, like, well, uh, you know, you're not actually... You are privileged. You know, you grew up in France. You know, you're middle class. You have kids here. We're not poor. Like, he uses those as sort of uh, stabbing points, even though that's not really the crux of her dilemma.
0: Yeah, I, I, I find it really it is very interesting, because, like I said, I, I think that the, the biggest reason for the, their arguments is like, yeah, one of them grew up and one of them didn't. Mm. They didn't grow up together, or at least one of them's growing up a lot slower than the other one, But and has such rudimentary and tries to hide behind sort of book smartness to try and make his point. Yeah, And I find him actually incredibly... I actually think I'm... I do think she's become quite cynical and jaded, but she has mm. rationale behind it because... It's like she said this is not the first time Henry has left the like left them exactly an, yeah. for an extended period of time, and she
1: even says this happens every time to him, and then and over time he just gets over it again
0: she I think she's just at that point where it's like you know it's been eighteen years, and I find her it's almost flipped compared to the last film because in the last film she's sort of in this weird sort of space where she doesn't really know what she needs to do next at 32 Mm. yet now, you know, she has things like because of the, the passing of her mother and, you know, where she has to take the responsibility of looking after her and then becoming a mother herself and then pushing for a career and, and trying to push through the very man dominated world. She has sort of reignited that feminist notion that she had in the first film which was there. It was mm. it was more idealistic and less grounded. Right. Whereas, but, it, it, but
1: it's always been a part of her. It's been a part of
0: her. Yeah. And just because it subsided for 2 hours in Venice <laughs> which we've is it Venice? Yeah, it was Venice.
1: Oh I'm blanking now. What France? The second one's in France. France, sorry. Yeah. yeah.
0: Pardon. Um just because it subsided for 2 hours mm. we think it's it's lost on her but for anything she just was kind of um shook as to things like the the novel that you know um Jesse wrote about her mm. which at time was an incredible romantic gesture which but has now become pretty much just her identity to what a lot of people perceive and that can be incredibly repressive
1: yeah um, well everyone she feels like everyone comes to her knowing who she is which yeah. is like, well, I don't want to be represented by Jesse's book, and even when you know because, she's asked to sign if, it, she's like, "Well, it's I didn't the write this." Most uncomfortable scene, yeah, <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. I would like lo- in that situation, I would low-key sign it. I'd be like, "Yeah," but that that's it. It's like I'm saying that without any context. You of- knew
0: an argument was coming out of that <laughs> after that scene. You were just like, "Oh boy, here we go." They're going to get to the room. They argue, yeah. but it's but, even like little things where like the disconnect becomes way more apparent as the film sort of moves along because. They like we only get a glimpse of what we'd seen in the first two films of what they did in this film, where they just walked around and took in the sights, and Mm. we talk about how um, the locations are such an important character of these films. Yeah, in Vienna, it's 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 intrinsic and extrinsic to why these characters fall in love with each other. It's it it breathes as much as the characters do, in the second one. It's there, but it's more about the characters. It, we're starting to see that transition to we're just focusing more on the characters. less about the place we're in, mm. um, and then by this film, it's it's the the location also almost becomes alien to them. It doesn't it doesn't have a homogenous relationship with the two characters as they interact with the world. In fact, Celine doesn't enjoy Greece that much. Yeah, She's, she didn't want to go, which is a huge and a fascinating sort of uh, uh, disposition to have from the first film where. A, you know, simply a boy asked a girl to get off a train with him and spend a night in a place that they'd never been before. Yeah. And that's, a, that's very There well, There's a
1: sense of innocence in that, in that original thing. And now, now because it's all settled and they're, they're people, like they're a collective hmm. they have more time to, to think about those things. And for me, the, the core differences between the three films geographically or even environmentally is Vienna's very, you know, artistic place, where you have, you know, the street performers and the card reader, all the palm readers, I mm. should say, and, like, all those people. Um, you know, the street drawers, you know, they draw the caricatures or the, the poems, I should say. Um, there's a lot of nightlife and artistry in the streets of Vienna for them to interact with. And by the time they get to um, France in the second one, it, everything around them is quiet and mm. sort of additive and, like, nobody interacts with them at all in that second film. And here it's a bit more domesticated, where we go, we sometimes go two and a half minutes without either of them saying a line because there's other characters talking.
0: Yeah, I, was, I it's was incredible. I think that's a fantastic point to bring up, that it's this, this, it is, it's the evolution from sort of like a a chaotic, volatile but passionate relationship to a more domesticated, subdued, mm. and honestly, slowly dying relationship. It, the, the, the. the lunch scene with all the characters which all these characters we pretty much to this point have had nothing more than a small interaction prior to this lunch scene is a fantastic scene Mm. because we get generational love and sort of what that means and honestly the practicality and irrationality of love we have the perfect balance like um and i find that really interesting and like you said like they'll go periods of time where they're not even
1: talking Um, I actually checked, it was about two and a half minutes towards the very end where they actually talk less and less and less as the scene goes on,
0: and I, I kind of I, I love that because yeah. it's it sort of talks about how yeah they're they're slowly starting to just melt. They're no longer the characters that we're going along the ride with. They're almost getting lost in the background a mm. little bit, which is, which is quite interesting because the some of the stories at the table are more interesting and fascinating than the two that we've been following this whole time, and yeah. we don't get that essence that we get from even the first two films where. The location breeds life because we're confined to this look pretty villa, but relatively subdued in its sort of nature or even man-made um, paraphernalia of the the location. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other ones, it's it's a huge part. Um, and then for thirty minutes, we're confined to a hotel room, which yeah. is as. <laughs> generic a hotel room as you've ever seen like sure, it's got yeah. no life it's got no character and i love that celine feels almost suffocated and lost in it because Even it's, it's like, like being it yeah because it's it's completely different it's it's so nothing and yeah. we only get essences of that romanticism from the first two films in literally the last five minutes because yep. the rest of the film is predominantly like you said domesticated it it feels like it's lost its spark and the only times we ever really capture that recapture that spark is actually either through Celine and Jesse's perception of others mm. particularly at this this lunch
1: conversation
0: or or basically fundamentally right at the end of the film
1: yeah it's it's really clever because of just the way it's constantly juxtaposing the film that came before it um and what i love it in particular about you know this this I don't know if it's a lunch or a dinner conversation. I think it's meant to be dinner. It looks like lunch. I think
0: it, you probably. I think it's like an arvo, like a, an evening dinner. Yeah, that
1: that would make sense. I mean, they're probably because it's going before midnight. Yeah, yeah sunset's probably like nine p.m. over there. <laughs> it depends if it's true. the summer. But um, what I loved especially because you're right, they each have sort of different stories, and I love Patrick talking about sort of how he, him and his wife, they were sort of a collective, excuse me, but they weren't a one in the sense that well, she's gone now, but I'm still living. But we sort of have this mutual relationship and then you compare it to the younger couple where um i think that's being sort of juxtaposed with the younger version of jessie and celine and the fact that they very much met and decided to keep in touch with each other technologically but they'll fall asleep to each other on skype or mm. they were you know do things over the phone or things things like that i think it's interesting that that's been juxtaposed and and celine was, even says like oh it's, that's the new romantic now she sort of makes fun of it
0: yeah, but then they, they they even follow it up with, which I find amazing, how they're almost open about the fact that they probably don't think this is going to be the end game. Mm. Like, they they bring, like, a practical element in there, and obviously that could be the naivete of two of teenagers being like, look, let's be real, we're probably not going to end up together. But obviously they're still going to experience the heartbreak of ending that relationship at some mm. point if they do. But the fact that like you know everyone at the the table like Patrick and Stefano like they they they're all like oh well that's incredibly practical mm. and even when Patrick even talks about it with his partner you know who's passed away now about how they both looked after each other but they looked after themselves first yeah and putting them so it was all, they like they said they're two single entities mm. which is such an in, a crucial um discussion point about this and particularly this weird notion that what I love with this, with what Linklade has done here, and even what obviously Hawk and Delphi have done, is they have grown with the world, because we have undergone this weird ideological shift, where dating now, you know, obviously as, as two gentlemen in our mid, you know, approaching our mid-twenties, it's like, it's like definitely a, a conversation point, where if I'm dating a girl... A lot of them want to have that individual identity they're obsessed with owning things by themselves and having that self-ownership it's Mm. marriage is is almost approached now with like prenuptials and now a pretty normal thing and that's like that's fine but it's more that practical outlet we we have that practical element in there and i know this film came out 2013 2014 but hasn't changed by 2022 you know it's it's the exact same it's like young people are like so obsessed with the a, car- a carving in a self identity that doesn't need to be defined by someone else that they would rather have someone that complements their existence mm. and funny enough in 1995 that was the ideologies of Celine and Jesse they wanted to be two individuals yeah. but they also wanted to be romantic have the romantic so they wanted their cake their individual cake and their couple yeah you know, cake at the same time and
1: yeah well i i don't think I don't think they're failing as a couple in this film because of of that. I don't think that has changed in terms of like the individual individualism. But I think what what's important is that they're not they're having very selfish ideas about what they want and where to go in the future. In mm. terms of Jesse wanting to go back to the U.S. to look after Henry, and Celine and be like, well, you know, I have this career opportunity. I want to stay, you know, in my home with my kids and. It's not that they're not listening to each other, but it's like they can't have that conversation without turn it turning into a big, screaming, fighting match because it just becomes about other things. It becomes spiteful.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's sort of what it. I mean, the big, the, the biggest thing is, this really is why I think it, it's kind of wrong to per, um, perceive Celine as the the more aggressive and out of line party. Cause I actually think Jesse is because Jesse mm-hmm. made a decision. He made an immature decision at the time. And he's really just dealing with the ramifications with yeah. it, you know? And I think that the fact of the matter is it's, and it becomes very apparent when, when Hank or Henry calls Celine three times over the course of the film, yeah. um, just to check in and, and talk about her travel progress, but doesn't contact Jesse. And it's like, Celine's not even biologically related. No, But she's a stepmother.
1: Not even legally. <laughs> but, yeah,
0: like, um, clearly that they have a very positive relationship there. Yeah. Right? Like, for example, that, that disconnect is so apparent because, like, maybe she's more like a, a yeah, like you said, like a stepmom or a mentor role. So Henry feels more comfortable talking about the affirmation he had for a girl while he was on holiday. Like, yeah. The fact that Jesse has to find out that Hank had his first kiss through Celine mm. infuriates him. You can tell. It affects him in that car ride.
1: Yeah. He feels well, left out.
0: Every time Henry calls, Celine answers and then hangs up the phone and doesn't even give it back, you know, give it to, to Jesse. And that's admittedly that is a a little petty. Like mm. and I definitely think that there are moments where both of the characters are quite petty to each other. Like that immaturity comes out like yep. it's not her kid and she needs to... There needs to be that respect there. But he's also so blasé about it. Does he get up off the bed and try and get the phone off her or ask? No, he uh, he sits on the bed. He kind of
1: he kind of lets her do it so that he can call her out exactly. later on. Yeah. I think
0: that's important because if he really wanted to make an active effort, he would just do it. But he's always... He has a very woe-is-me construct about him. He likes being a, a victim. Um, and it's always under that... He always puts it under a philosophical guise that oh it's like oh like i don't want to be like my dad and here i am being like my dad but he's, he's very blasé about it you know he's still caught up in his own drama that he's ignoring the fact that he has two kids that he can actively be responsible and look after and be prevalent father figures to yeah
1: him. well that that almost perfectly segues in something i want to talk about because obviously he is a father to those daughters and he he is obviously a father to henry but the main key difference there and he mentions it multiple times, the fact that he froze like a girl, he doesn't know how to play catch, he doesn't do this or that. He wants to bond with his son. Mm. Not necessarily his kid, but his son. And this film actually kind of goes out of its way to portray that very binary domestic lifestyle where you have the guys, you know, they're outside talking about their books and that, and you have the girls inside cooking and talking about the daughters and all the girls. And um, it sort of represents in this very binary way, which I thought was interesting in the sense that, yeah, I think... I was about to call him Ethan. <laughs> or, I mean Jesse very much wants to be a father to his son. And it almost kinda does trump the relationship he would have with his daughters and with Celine. Now he doesn't want to do that. Mm. And I I think that is an excellent point you raised. Like he's he put himself in this situation when he decided to not go on the plane and stay with Celine. He knew at that moment that the big consequence was going to be his relationship with Henry is going to be strained forever.
0: Yeah, and we we know he has a... Real, at that point, he had a very positive relationship with Henry. Mm. The only reason he was staying in that marriage was because of Henry. Exactly. But he elected... A lot of his intentions were always... His, even his romantic gestures, they do have that underlying notion of selfishness to them. Mm. And when you're 23 and you make a selfish decision... um there's little ramification to it. The knock-on effect is not as effective, but it's quite drastic now because you bring kids in, you, you know, have a poor divorce relationship with your ex-wife. Um, and I, I love even the subtle nuances like Celine knowing what buttons to push. Like they've obviously been together now for, for nearly 10 years and Mm. they know how to push each other's buttons. So when that argument does unfold in the hotel room, they both do subtle nuances where it's not inadvertently pushing the button but it is like saying she's your wife like and it's like yeah. they haven't yeah. been married for exactly 10 years. been
1: ex-wife for a very long time. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um
0: and I <laughs> I love that. I do because it's sort of like very interesting this this conversation of unfolding where they're they're having this argument and uh, I really like that it it just changes cuz it you know we've talked about the power of of organic conversation all three of these films and how they still walk that perfect line between having points and potencies of their characters and mm-hmm. their intentions, but still feeling so casual and normalised. And the way that that argument transforms and tangents that like goes on tangents. Yeah but not in the way like something like Malcolm and Marie does, where it just feels exhausting mm. and pretentious and wanky because yeah, it's all just about film or it's all about their relationship as a power couple. Yeah. And Whereas in this, it feels very normalised. you know.
1: But what what this does structurally, and I remember actually taking influence for this for something I wrote quite recently. I've actually kind of backpedaled on that. I made it more exponential. But in terms of an argument that ebbs and flows and de-escalates and escalates like in a non-linear fashion mm. and that's what this does where you have Celine walk out of the hotel two or three times but there are scenes in between her walking out like in a fit of rage where they just sit and comfort each other and hold their hands and and actually talk it out and the fact the fact that they can de-escalate and escalate again mm. means that you're right they they know which button, buttons to push but there's still like a relationship there where it's not this linear progression of of an argument
0: yeah it doesn't and they don't go Like, you know, and it is, I think it's apt to compare it to something like Malcolm Murray because yeah, it does have, that's what makes that one feel unnatural and more staged versus Mm -hmm. this one feel more natural because yeah, they do, they have the sit down, they uh, let's have a sit down, rational conversation about that. Mm -hmm. And Jesse always has that kind of condescending tone with it. Like he thinks that, like you said, I do think it does come back to that binary construct of women are too emotional and men are the only ones who can sit down and have a rational intellectual conversation despite mm-hmm. the fact that Celine is an accomplished person in uh, political systems and organisations and has got this option to be a big promotion she's on the verge of a promotion he's now writing his third book in which his set or his fourth book in which the second and third one were given eh lukewarm relatings. and the only one he ever gets like positive attention for is that first one about Celine mm. um is you know so he's at that point where although he's you know he's probably set for life because of how successful that first book is, is it just because he basically just copied and pasted his life that was is that it is he really that talented a writer we don't know.
1: I feel and, like he's definitely talented in the sense that like we we know what the stories are in the books mm. because like you know they talk about it but it's like I feel like there has to be a certain level of 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 it being well written because they make the joke of like oh the first one the first book brought us back together. And the second one bought our our condo, whatever whatever the joke was. Mm. Um, so I, I I reckon there is a bit of talent there, but you're right in the sense that you he, he can't really quantify that so much because mm. he, that's sort of him being in his own bubble and dealing with critics well, that have different things to exactly. say. And
0: he's very you know he's driven by things like ego and fame and success, where she's driven by responsibility, practicality, and that disconnect is very apparent there. It comes back to things like, oh, when he, he, he goes on his rider's walks for an hour a day and she's like, it's actually two hours. And he's like, no, yeah. it's an hour. And it's like, no, no, it's you're not back with us for two hours because yeah. you'll go for an hour physically, but you're not back with us mentally. So well, that's two hours a day we lose.
1: Even that exaggeration because then he says, you know, you finish work at 6.30 and she's like six. Like there's just this constant little exaggerations. They're probably both doing again. We don't really know because we don't see it. Mm. There's, not, there's not a scene where we look at the clock and, and see if it took them one hour yeah. or two. But it, again, it's it's the exaggeratory nature of the argument. They're trying to get that one-upsmanship on each other.
0: Yeah, I think this is a, a very practical resentment that they both could have for each other. It's like, you know, she hasn't done anything artistic for years mm. because of her personal and fa- familiar responsibilities. And he can't really see that. He goes, oh, you know how long it's been since I've heard you sing? Like, I like, and I love that he, like, takes that dig. It's like, it's been since Paris since I heard you sing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the... And she's like, do you think I don't want to do that stuff? And it's like, I physically don't have any time in the day because you're the one who gets to have all the artistic stuff.
1: Yeah. But then he he doesn't even acknowledge that because he's like, oh, well, you spend all day whining and complaining if you just spent one eight for that energy. Like, that is, <laughs> that is not the way to go about that. <laughs> But the you of Because you they're, just, be, they're just trying like, oh, to dig at each other. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. That's it. Because
0: they feel incredibly frustrated. And we start to hear revelations come out about, um, you know, not um, being monogamous to one another mm-hmm. and, and such. You know, like, she reckons, uh, you know, Celine reckons that Jesse had an affair on one of the tours with a bookshop owner. And, mm-hmm. and Jesse multiple times mentions that for some reason he's really into Celine... Blowing, certain (laughs) members of parliament (laughs) apparently, but sure. Um, Well, that's
1: that's a good question because I mean, the more I rewatch this film, the more I realize they probably both did cheat on each other. Yeah, but there's just a casualness to. I mean, there's a casualness to sex in this film, unlike uh, on a much more extreme level than the other two films. Obviously, that's half of all they talk about in this. While with like Sunset, for example, there's a lot more of um, guard keeping, walking around the bush type thing bit more flirtatious than outright just sex talk um and one of the greater scenes that show this is the fact that half the argument they have Celine's just topless <laughs> yeah which is just like part of the casualness of the private life. life casualness yeah no exactly scrubbing yeah.
0: the tub with, uh,
1: <laughs> with no pants no, on with no pants
0: on sort <laughs> of made me think about which i love but i love when the what i like about it is the pacing in that argument because there's little clever directions you know it's starting to get really heated in the argument she puts a top on yeah you know what starts as a casual little, like little escalation, but nothing. Da- when it starts to get to that real heightened bit, she does put a shirt on, and then after that happens, it it comes down. Like you said, it peaks and troughs, which yeah. is really nice because that's what having a real argument with a loved one's like. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't go a hundred for twenty five minutes straight. Like, um, that's almost like you know, as much as I love. Um, Marriage
1: Story. Uh, This out Marriage Story is Marriage Story easily. Yeah. It does. And like when you rewatch Marriage Story I still think it's great but it is it is quite performative. Mm -hmm. This feels and Malcolm and Marie especially that entire film feels like a showcase more than like a story. This one first off it feels more offensive because we've been with these characters for a long time now but it doesn't feel performative. It feels very real very nuanced Um, and I think in terms of like a couple's Argument. This is one of the better ones that's ever been done, yeah. in my opinion.
0: It's realistic. I mean, it's like little things, like when she makes a tea
1: and doesn't actually yeah, drink it. Never same. drink it. Same with the drink. Like, when he, he pops it open. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like they're they're sort of just doing stuff because they almost like they're trying to bring the energy down sometimes, but then the resentment comes back. And yeah, like I do like the the sort of sex positive thinking that goes on in this. It's very casual and such. Like yeah, when she's having an argument, topless, but. And she also well, critiques him for being so obsessed with sex, yet he's never really diversified the way he makes love to yeah. her, you know.
1: Well, I think what it's saying is that... It's, it's one just of my like favourite lines in the whole film, <laughs> and she just
0: goes, kiss on the neck, kiss, yep, there, 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 done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, Jesse. And you you totally believe it as well. But I mean, I mean, what that's trying to say more than anything with the casualness is just like the spark's gone in that sense. Mm. of like they really have to actively try and be sexy to each other they have to make an act as opposed to you know sunrise and even sunset there's just like that connection they can't shake off they're doing everything in their power not to act on that and in this one it's so casualized and and repetitious that it's like she's got a top off and they still can't help but argue and, and bicker and complain <laughs> that's it which is really interesting i think there's, and I wrote this in my review ages ago I think for me these, sort of all these insults and the lines, all the things that have been building up there's sort of this bubbling idea of like, I told you so underneath everything and what I think that means is because it gets to that point, it escalates to that final stage where they do they even regret having met in the first place that's why I feel like it goes and even though I think that there's a bit of a flirty nature to that Mm. um i think ultimately a lot of the bitterness comes from like we predicted this was going to happen it happens to every married couple we did this to ourselves in a way and i think it's interesting again that's where the cyclical Mm. side of this whole trilogy comes from i think that there's definitely
0: um elements of things like it, it and this isn't affecting everyone because obviously the best part about things like the the dinner slash lunch whatever time of day that is (laughs) conversation is (laughs) sort of talking about the windy the windy roads that some relationships walk for love that a relationship can start on a a shaky foundation and still end up um perfectly adequate and fine and then Mm -hmm. the ones that start normal like normal in quotations end up falling apart way quicker i think the fact of the matter is that because of jesse's actions to um you know cheat with celine and but you know or like their foundation for their actual physical relationship not the one that they claim they started 18 years ago Mm. led to the ramifications of now the fact that his ex-wife despises him and hates her you know there's like oh we only know this obviously from the this the accounts of them being like oh should i speak to her and he's like god no Absolutely not! What a terrible idea! <laughs> not clearly, again. there has yeah. been some interaction that's happened there beforehand, and whereas maybe if they had separated um, on a more mutual and uh, positive term, this situation with Hank or Henry might have unfolded differently. It might not have because you know Celine's opinion of of Jesse's ex wife is incredibly low. Right, constantly it's, calling it's very her an Strong opinion, yeah, yeah. To you know, like she's not fit to be a mother is a very key notion that she puts forward constantly yeah in Jesse pseudo he pass- he's very passively defends his ex-wife like oh it's not
1: that like right. he doesn't I, mean, I think this. he's going about it in the sense that you know if he's thinking of it as a reality that he's going to move to the US and get joint custody with his ex-wife and in his mind the way to go about that is to stop insulting her and, and play the safe card mm Um, which Celine is probably on the other end of, like, it's far too late for that. Yeah. And, you know, she's a bitch, and we need to call her out for it.
0: Yeah, and need to, if you want to take charge and try and get custody, you should do it. Mm. And that's the big thing. He he definitely has a martyr complex. Like, he likes having the problem, so he can complain about the problem. Mm. But we don't really know what Jesse would be like. From what we gather from this film, Hank or Henry only spends... Uh, limited periods of time with Jesse and normally in extraordinary places or in circumstances mm-hmm. like going to his recital and going to catch a game you know these aren't normal things that uh, father son do on a day to day basis these are sure, often yeah. special like he hasn't been there as a father and and it's like a big that's a big thing where he says things like oh he hasn't doesn't even know how to learn, uh, throw a ball when it's like yep. But then Celine goes up and goes, well, he's not even that good at sports. Like he's not like Mm. it's, and even he admits I'm not that good at sports. And Jesse thinks that that's to do with the fact that he hasn't had a father there to make him good at sports. Whereas he might just not be naturally good at sports. You know, he might be a book smart person, but it's that disconnect where he thinks, Oh, like you said, that binary mind thinking where if a if a man has a father around all the time, they're going to be good at the physical stuff, but men are good at Yeah. Which is just factually incorrect. <laughs> it's
1: one way to go about it, but you're right. I think I think the fact that Jesse is at a stage where he he's a father, but he hasn't been. Uh, you know, I don't know how old. Let's say he's twelve or thirteen years old. Yes. Henry, you know, he hasn't been there for twelve, thirteen years of, of Henry's life, and he has a lot of catching up to do as a father. So it, it's it's almost more about himself than than for Henry.
0: Yeah. And it's that critical point where he's sort of talking about these. Are, these are, this is the point of no return. Like, he's about to undergo his adolescent years, which are the mm-hmm. most critically shaping for one's personality. Sure. which is, I no. 100% agree. 13 to 18, pretty much are the clutch five years of of a young man or a young woman's life. And, but then Celine offers the solution to it, and he's not willing to fight for it.
1: Really. Well, the solution that he goes on his own well, to New York? Well,
0: that or, or tries to gain full custody and Henry comes over to them. Right. And he raises them as a collective joint family.
1: But he knows that's not, he's like, that's never going to happen. She'll never let that happen. Mm.
0: But with Celine, it's Celine's belief that that's attainable because of her very strong opinions of Jesse's ex-wife
1: yeah be. i I think that that's just them going about it in different ways because if you know you have jesse taking a more tactile quiet approach where he's not going to insult his ex-wife he's going to go to them and try and make it easier for them while celine's on the other end of like she has no redeeming qualities and if we just attack her head on head first then we might win 100 percent of the battle and bring him over to us and i think neither of them thinks the other approach is going to work I mean that's where the conflict really comes from it's interesting how specific when you break down what the argument is it's so specifically about Henry and it could have very well been a throwaway line in Sunset of like oh and yeah and he, he has a son mm. and that's like an extra layer of why he can't get with Celine. and they've made it such an integral part of really the entire trilogy now if you think about well, it well this is
0: the catalyst for really unwinding this relationship mm. like unraveling it and really showing all the key problems and flaws and More importantly, yeah, the opportunity cost for the action, the decision made by predominantly Jesse, but obviously both of them, because, you know, it's like, you could argue that Sleen, although has a huge affirmation for Jesse, could have been, you know, when when relationships start on those shakier, sort of more ambiguous terms, Mm -hmm. it is both parties, it is two to tango, you know, and you both have to just live with that and hope that you can weather it, because we could quite easily have come to this, you know, nine, ten years from now. And if Jesse had been a, a different type of person, mm. Hank could just be staying with their kids, and they all could have been raised collectively, and it could be a really positive relationship. Mm. But that's the that's the so important. So could have should have. What's the important thing about this trilogy is the fact is they fundamentally haven't changed their values since twenty three. Yeah, they've just either made them more surface level and apparent, or they've, um, you know sort of tucked them away and become more passengers to their life
1: a little bit more. Yeah. Well the things they were afraid of and mm. feared in their younger years have now sort of transpired and have come to be and Yeah. I think that's something that's really tough to swallow for them. But this leads us into the last scene, I guess. Mm. And um the epilogue. What it what's your So obviously this is the end of the trilogy and they've they've essentially I mean this is the year, twenty twenty two sundance is happening right now mm. for all intents and purposes the fourth movie should be out right now at sundance if they kept to that schedule but they very much said that's not the plan they're not going to do anymore which i think is probably the safest option yeah because I'm... of how perfect the trilogy is even though i think they could get away with it but
0: they could mm. um could be a really interesting I mean I don't know if we're going to do a a pitch sesh if there was a hypothetical Uh, we I certainly should (laughs) Um, but if we're just talking about the ending of this third film it it definitely closes the door like 80 85% shut like it's (laughs) there's still a slit that you could stick a foot in and just be like no 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 we're not done yet but I think the ending of this film where, you know, they've had this big falling out and Celine is just like, I don't love you anymore. Yeah. And really means it. Like, there's a belief there. There is like, like I said, like an 80, 85% belief there. I don't think she's wholeheartedly done because when you're wholeheartedly done, you get a divorce and that's it. Mm. But... Then you could argue, you know, you have relationships where couples don't love each other, but they have kids and they stay together for the kids, for the sure. sake of the kids. But this relationship doesn't feel like that sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't feel like that dynamic. Like I, w- I will hasn't point put- out
1: separately, unrela- I do I do know a couple that got married, got divorced, got remarried. So that that is also, I've seen that happen before, which okay. is interesting, yeah. It's like a unicorn, that one. Um, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, in the human race um, mm. no I look I, I think the ending is is sort of like Jesse's sort of last ditch effort for a romantic notion I think that it wouldn't bode I don't know if this relationship would survive nine years mm. more I don't think they'd make it to 50 I think the ending's very apparent of that I think it's it's very clear that this relationship might live a little longer but i feel like if you know by the end of the film i feel like these issues are not going to change this relationship there's not really a reckon there's a reconciliation of the moment but not of the relationship mm. it will bear scars permanently now
1: yeah i kind of it's definitely like the ver- the very last beat is very hopeful and i think the overall idea of what you know, Jesse's saying, and I even have the quote, you know, if you want true love, then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real in the sense of I'm giving, you know, as much as we're fighting, and I think it ties back to what Celine even said. She likes when her daughters are fighting because it shows that they're both powerful and, and willing to stand up for themselves. And I think that's sort of represented in their own argument between Jesse and Celine. But I think that's sort of the admission of this is not not saying you're not going to do any better than me. But, you know, what I'm doing, take it how you will, but what I'm doing is this is how I express my love to you, and it is real, and it is authentic. And I think that is definitely a hopeful beat, especially because she plays along with the whole time-traveler thing, which i got to point out before I forget, I saw little clips of this Mm -hmm. after seeing Sunset and before going into Midnight, so I had mini-spoilers. And when I saw clips like that, I was like, oh, God, she's going to get amnesia, and he has to win her back. That's going to be the third film, which most certainly is not what, a what happens. Bad film, that I know. Bad. Terrible. Um, I'm glad that didn't happen, but <laughs> but I think the fact that she plays along with it, it's it's a very hopeful beat. But you're right. I don't know about the longevity yeah, of it. It's, it's because if, and they're still going to have to figure out this Henry situation.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, nothing. The resolution is the fact that there is really no resolution to this. This is a these sort of arguments you have, and not that I've ever been in a relationship that remotely resembles the longevity that they have had. Mm. But even in the the smaller scaled ones I've been in, you can tell that that's the relation, that's the catalyst breaking relationship argument. That's the one that they won't break up tonight, but it's coming Mm. for them, unfortunately. And if there was a fourth film, do we want to jump into that? Do you have your film? Yeah,
1: I, I wrote, and this is going back a little while now, I have exactly what I would pitch as a fourth film, but I want you to go first. Okay. If you have it already in your I'd head. say
0: the fourth film for me would be something along the lines of, you know, nine years and the girls look to be eight, nine. They don't look to be... I think that they...
1: They'll probably some, be late teens and in around now, I reckon. could quite
0: easily push the high school graduation angle. Oh, okay, um, I like that whether that would be um yeah so something along that line um and the two of them had separated but sort of obviously collectively spent um a period of time maybe a night before um their daughter's like graduations or their sweet 16th birthday or something like that Mm. where we sort of get to sort of see how their relationship has survived but it, it, the dynamic is completely and utterly changed perhaps one of them is remarried at this point or mm. developed a long-term relationship probably jesse would be the one to be in one but it might be more interesting for him to be more in sporadic burst relationships and Celine to have actually met a long-term partner interesting um, i just don't see this relationship lasting nine more years so (laughs) i would say it would have to be something like that like but it would be the the film would be a reconciliation of their relationship not their love in the sense of they get back together Mm. but the true affirmation that they do have for one another which has transcended at this point 27 years yeah yeah um where they both realize that because of their communication and love for each other, they've actually raised two very good daughters. He's maybe rekindled his relationship with his actual son. And now they're in a place where they both just really just enjoy being in each other's company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They've developed an equilibrium. and not Because they've tried the relationship, it didn't work out. And what they realize is they did need each other in their lives, but just not for the reason they first perceived
1: right i like that and and what's interesting is that i sort of took more the route of the where when and how so you could easily tie those ideas from your idea into sort of the setting of mine mm. so i went more in the route of and uh, do you have a title for what yours would be called because i have a I, title, made
0: a, I made right? a joke that it'd be like before tomorrow or
1: something it has to be mm. something
0: time related right yeah. how many more how many more times are there well, left.
1: my my pitch, and there's a few reasons. My pitch would be that it's called Before Midday. So, because we're talking noon. Yeah, you, could you could call it Before Noon. I like Midday because it comes off Midnight, Midnight, Midday. It's mm-hmm. um, the same way that Sunrise, Sunset. So, you get the Sun in the two and then you get yeah. Mid in this one. Um, and, yeah, you, that's actually a good point. I guess the Daughters, I, I imagine the Daughters being like 16, 17. They're probably actually closer to 14, 15 in mm-hmm. this version. But my thinking was that, yeah, you would call it Before Midday. That way you can have it take place overnight, which we haven't done since the first movie, and they could be either divorced or not divorced in the scenario. I think them being divorced is more well. See, divorced—they're not actually married. They say that, so separate. Yeah, separated is the best way to put it. I reckon it is more interesting. They're separated, so we can take the ideas from your version, put it in here where um, one of the daughters was in a non- non-lethal, non-dangerous car accident, mm-hmm. but just something to. Put her in the hospital for the night, they to do checkups. And this causes Jesse and Celine to meet at the hospital and sort of keep them there waiting to hear on the status of their daughter throughout the night. And yeah, I think from there you can have a lot of interesting discussions of where they are in their fifties and if they are separated, what are the kind of relationships they're in now, whether you're right, whether it's a bunch of sporadic relationships or what you know, maybe maybe Celine has gotten married. It's sort of the five hundred days of summer effect. Mm. where someone who's, I'm never getting married, ends up getting married to someone else. Um, there's a lot of things you can do in there, I reckon. Trying to work out the ages of the, the kids. Yeah, tra- Letterboxd wasn't helping me with that. But or is Wikipedia. I would say they're at least five in Before Midnight. I believe that they're... Because
0: I, the I think that it's not too long. I think after two... Because they go, they go to New York for two years after the Paris thing, and then they go back to Paris... For Celine's mother, and then yeah. shortly after that, so it could be six, seven.
1: Well, she, she, they moved to give birth. That was the idea. Okay, then so that would be. It, it could like two be years, two to two three seven years, um, which would make them right. sixteen. Yeah, the older the better, because in my thinking, maybe it's like a boyfriend took her out, um, and then they got into like a small car accident. Mm-hmm. That's the reason they could talk about their kids dating or whatever. Um, there's a lot of different angles in there, but my my thinking is that they have to wait in this hospital for checkups. Don't add too many stakes there. It's not like anyone's going to die or anything. You don't you want the focus to still be on them. Mm. This is just a, a time and a place for them to be put into a room together. And
0: have to kind of work as a team. So yeah, exactly. Be on the same path. I think that's really good. I mean, it could even be as simple as um with Hanks age, it could be Hanks 21st him coming yeah, it? and That's true. That's the other way you go to the boyhood route where you have like the full consummation of manhood. But it should center around. I believe it should center around the twins rather.
1: I, I mean that makes way more sense to me. Um, oh, here we go, Hank. Who was born? It says teenager, nineteen ninety eight. the he's young. Okay, age. so a little older than twenty one. But th- then again, that's well, just, no, that's the
0: actor in yeah in the film. It says sure. he's the he's an adolescent teenager. So sure, quite easily thirteen. Which, yeah. to be honest, he looks thirteen. Yeah, you could okay. get away
1: with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at his face now. He's done some other stuff as well, which is cool. He was in Moonrise for, Kingdom for, did not know for that. For
0: reference sake, if it's twenty thirteen when this film was made, he would have been
1: fifteen. Okay, interesting. He's definitely he definitely looks so younger 15, than fifteen yeah. in the movie. Um But yeah, but I, I, I think yeah, you're right. You kinda have to focus on the girls. Because I like, if, if obviously Celine has their relationship with Hank, but say they've moved to the US for whatever reason or they've mm. separated and gone that way they need to be all within close proximity of each other. And I think it would make sense for Jesse to have to join Celine in a hospital to wait on the status of, you know, one of their daughters. And it could end in a lunch. Mm. And again, I didn't focus too much on the the specificities of it, partly because I'm not 50 years old. So I don't know what would be the exploration there. But in terms of the inner relationship, I think that your story kind of makes a lot of sense to go down in that direction. Mm. Here we go. We've yeah. done it for you, Linklater. You just, do it now. <laughs> just do it now. Just do it now. Writer's credits. you got less than 12 months. Yeah. Before, before December 31st. <laughs> I wonder if they'd bring
0: the COVID stuff in, you know? I wonder the uh, integral part.
1: I don't think that would be smart. Because I know that was the whole thing with the third season of Succession was, do they bring COVID or not? And they decided no. And I think mean, that was smart because they could just focus on what was already sure. established. I don't know what COVID would have to say about Jesse and Celine's relationship. Mm-hmm. But okay, maybe technological side. I don't know, but we'll see.
0: Well, mm. well, there was a technological element in the like when the younger couple was yeah, of course, stuff with stuff.
1: Skype and stuff.
0: Um, all right, Jake, what was mm. your highlight scene?
1: Um, I, I was. It's hard to quantify because there is so few actual scenes in this movie, but I think ultimately the one, as much as I love the argument that ebbs and flows, and it's a fantastic piece of writing and, and performative art. But I want to highlight just a little tiny baby scene. When they're before they finish walking to the hotel, they stop by to watch the sunset, and you got Celine. You know, being, you know, it's um, what's the what's what she uses? It's not going, is it? Um, so, oh, still there, mm-hmm. still there, still there, and then gone. This is a nice little sweet moment, but it's also very meta because of the whole sunset analogy. That now we're moving into the next. You kind of said it. It's almost like the first half, or before midnight. Kind of has does have this like Venn diagram effect from sunset where you sort of ease mm. into it, and then the second half after the sun is set in the actual film that's when the real real the yeah. real shit goes down <laughs>
0: it does and what I like about that that scene is even the emotional shift that happens when the sun goes down like they mm. almost they went from kind of like that couple you would see as the sun goes down like oh they've been together for a really long period of time. They look very comfortable with each other. And when mm. the sun goes down, there's actually this weird sort of disconnect, awkward moment where Sling kind of removes herself from Jesse's sort of.
1: Interesting, yeah.
0: Embrace. And it's, it's, it's very subtle. But it's because she's a
1: vampire, that's why. That's it.
0: <laughs> I would have to say my highlight scenes, honestly, still the car ride in. I think nice, it's. Nice, yeah. It's a fantastic, like, it goes to show, location, everything. Doesn't matter if your dialogue makes sense. what's
1: really clever about that I'll just quickly interject because it does it and then it does it when they walk to the hotel as well is those little inner cut moments it's very clever ways for them to have the ability to inner cut these gigantic takes if they want to use different Mm -hmm. things and different um, and then you know when they're walking it's like they walk past the goats or the dog or like certain monasteries um, but like because they're interacting with them in the blocking and they actually make the comment of hey look there's goats over there I mean it's a really clever way to introduce that inner cutting Mm. Thing, but anyway, I... no, I agree. You. I agree,
0: yeah. and it, it's very clever. As someone who, yeah, I mean, like one of the films that I made, Hitched, has a mm. similar sort of thing. But we used like three camera setups, so you can intercut right between those. those yeah. yeah,
1: conversations Um
0: makes it. But it looks like what they did was actually not green screen; it was location. I based. think that was definitely. I think that location. was a mount on the the car.
1: Yeah, well, these are very like tiny. Productions, so it's like they kind of. I feel like they have to do everything practically. Yeah,
0: but um, for sure. Well, show before midnight is currently out on YouTube to rent, (laughs) and in wide release in stores.
1: There you go. Yeah, this is the easiest one to get, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like separately on a DVD, and of course the Criterion, you can get the whole thing together, and you can watch the after before after, which is the thirty minute documentary about the making of this film. Which I I wrote, a, I wrote a thing being like, I kind of wish it was a collective of the whole trilogy, mm. but it almost makes more sense that it focuses on one specific time period, yeah. much like the films do individually. But yeah, there you go.
0: Well, speaking of films, Jack, what's news is just film uh, to cinemas and
1: streaming platforms this week? Streaming is pretty... Not a lot. Not a lot happening, Zeke. We have the documentary Shane as well as Last Kiss and Inglorious Bastards coming to Amazon Prime this week. Mm. You've got the local film Jasper Jones coming to Stan. And coming to Netflix, you have The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window, which is a <laughs> bit of a satirical series. Yeah, I'm, g-
0: I'm going to give that a watch. Yeah? I think, yeah, it looked all right. It looked funny.
1: Yeah, it's, I do like them making fun of those sentence-long titles that we've, we've made fun of for a long time on yeah. this show.
0: <laughs> I watched the trailer for it. looked all right.
1: Yeah, that's good. And coming to cinemas this week, and I swear this has already been playing, but I'm gonna do the write up anyway because it's still in the coming Zoom section yeah. at Luna specifically. But yeah, Parallel Mothers, which sees two single women meet in a hospital room where they are both about to give birth. And fun fact, my one of my mum's best friends, that's how they met, was they both gave birth on the, in the same hospital on the same day.
0: So, so it does happen.
1: It does happen. It's crazy. Um so that happens. And despite their age and life circumstances, they form a strong bond, as two mothers would do. That sounds
0: like a really easy, like, really smart film Mm. Like you could do on a relatively low budget.
1: It reminds me, I think the film is called Adam? I could be wrong. There's like 50 million films called Adam that came out in 2019, Mm. but there is a 2019 film called... I will just double-check that it is called Adam, once my internet decides to work. Um, But it is about two... God reminds I think it is about oh, it's about a mother and a pregnant woman whom obviously the pregnant woman is looking for seed somewhere to stay mm. during her pregnancy and they end up forming this sort of unlikely bond together as well as the daughter of that mother and that's a really good film I my internet is just not working right now but I'm I'm confident it's called Oh yeah it's called Adam 2019 directed by uh Maram Chouzani I'm mm. not doing that right but it is it is a subtitled film Just so you know. But it it reminds me a bit of that. The Hating Game is a romantic comedy that sees Lucy Hale and Austin Stowell engage in a quote-unquote healthy game of professional one-upmanship that's only complicated by her growing attraction to him. Ooh. There you go. Very exciting. Limbo sees a young Syrian musician and other refugees seek asylum on a remote Scottish island. Queen Bee stars Ellen Burstein as an independent senior who, uh, excuse me, who decides to temporarily move into a nearby retirement community where she, quote-unquote, experiences several new things. That's what the logline says. Mm. Experiences several new things. Several new. Several. Not one, not two, but several. Several new things. Things that are new to her as a senior. (laughs) I mean, hey, I guess it explains it. I guess oh christ almighty uh and finally the eyes of tammy faye retells the true story of the titular televangelist played by jessica chastain and andrew garfield as her husband
0: andrew getting a lot of work recently i
1: know he's in a lot of stuff not Mm. mainstream though he that that doesn't exist that movie (laughs) (laughs) no
0: well speaking of movies Jake, what are we (laughs) catching? Speaking of movies. (laughs) Movies on the Cinema Massage Podcast. It's crazy. We're not catching any of those. No, we're not. Next week on the show. But
1: Jake, what are we watching? Next week on the show, Z, we're watching The Tragedy of Macbeth. Of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. When he receives a prophecy from a trio of witches that one day he will become king of Scotland, Macbeth becomes consumed by ambition and would spurred to action by his wife. Macbeth murders his king and takes the throne for himself. There's a lot of spoilers in there for this Macbeth of, story. This not ri- like it's a really old, old story. This original IP from Joel Co- Cohen.
0: Yes. <laughs> I am uh, i haven't seen anything
1: on this, really. I've seen it. I've seen like a on trailer, like yeah. a teaser, and it looks visually spellbinding. Spellbinding? Spellbinding. I have to think of one there. That, that adder. A- accurately translates my thoughts on the cinematography of this film, which is spellbinding. There we go. Get it? Because there's witches in it. And I they, did. They probably I did. do spells spooky, and stuff. So. I know, spooky little spooky things. Exciting. I'm excited to see it.
0: But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Style Show podcast.
1: I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with the tragedy of Nick Bear.